I'm Francis Lamb, and this is The Splendid Table from APM. You know, uh, I was watching football the other week, and it was negative 5 degrees in Kansas City. Uh, it was minus 22 in Montana, and it snowed in Dallas. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for soup. And today, we have some truly delicious and iconic soups for you. The star chef Gregory Gourdet joins us later to talk about his beloved soup jamu, the pumpkin and meat soup that represents Haitian independence. Jing Gao, inventor of the wildly delicious chili crisp called Fly by Jing, comes by to talk about Chinese hot pot. And first, we have Mariana Velasquez, food stylist extraordinaire. You know, she is usually behind the scenes in books. She has made the recipes look gorgeous, and who knows how many of your favorite cookbooks. But one day, she stepped into the author's chair herself when she realized that she really just couldn't go any longer without singing the beautiful song of her native Colombia's food for all to hear. The result was her debut cookbook, Colombiana, and she joins us to talk about the one-pot feast called Sancocho. So, hola, Mariana. So nice to have you. Hola, hola. Thank you for having me. Your book is so gorgeous, and I've never wanted to go to Colombia more. Uh, I'm sure Etika, our producer, is a little bit horrified to hear that. She's like, I've been talking to you about Colombia for years. (laughs) But it really is so beautiful. And something that really struck me, not just in the photos, but that you wrote about, was that Colombia is the second most biodiverse country on Earth based on like how many different ecosystems there are. Yeah. So Can you imagine? and of course I I, I truly cannot. <laughs> and of course, you know, if there are all these different ecosystems, there are different climates, there are different fruits and vegetables, and obviously that affects the cuisine. But what does that really mean? Give us an illustration of that sort of diversity. So imagine you are sitting um in Bogota, which is nine thousand feet up in a valley in the Andes, in the central branch of the Andes. And you drive 45 minutes outside the city. You go down into a complete, completely different climate and you encounter very different weather, different food. People are like, it's like 80 degrees while in Bogota was 56 and it's only 45 minutes. Oh, wow. So you can really change seasons in a short drive. And that also means that every place has its own identity. It's almost like it's many, many Colombias. Um, it's very, it's so regional. Yeah. You say Bogota has 9,000 feet up. It's very high up. <laughs> <laughs> so like Denver, to, to put that in like US terms, like oh, Denver famously is the mile high city. A mile is 5,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. almost twice as high. So you're talking about that kind of elevation. And like you said, 45 minutes away, you're, it can be 30 degrees hotter. And then let alone when you go to the coast, it's tropical, there's coconuts. It's That's no, exactly. And, and incredible. I mean, when there's this great drive, I mean, to really understand the food of Colombia, you have to travel by car, right? I mean, mm, when you go okay. to the main cities by plane, you sort of miss all the flavor and all the texture of the small towns. And there are things that don't leave their towns, right? I mean, there's recipes or pastries or 
fruit juices or preparations that are so innate to a place that if you've never been there, even as a Colombian, you may not know about it. Mm. What's one that you can think of right now? So, for instance, when I was doing the research for Colombiana, I traveled quite a bit around the country. Mm-hmm. And I went to this one town in the state of Boyacá, and I found that they had barley flour, like toasted barley flour, and they made all these cookies with it. Hmm. I had never seen that. You know, I had never seen that anywhere else in Colombia. I had never seen the use of a different type of flour like this. And so then I developed a recipe for these cookies. But for instance, that, you know, and I'm in the world of food. I research all the time and I kept getting surprised by hearing the stories of of the food that doesn't travel. You know, I mean, in a way, because of Colombia's sadly war situation that we've had for the last 50 years. Um, mm-hmm. It's places have stayed very authentic, right? Because mm. it's either dangerous to travel there or it was uh, hard to get to, hard to leave. So a lot of the culture was really preserved, which I guess is the upside of that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. Well, through all of this regionality and this diversity, you also write that there are you know, three foods that kind of unite Colombian cuisine. Merarepa, which are these like griddled cornmeal cakes, empanadas, which you know many of us know, and sancocho. And that's really what I'm excited to talk to you about today. First, what is sancocho? So sancocho is essentially a soup that is prepared by cooking in a very large pot uh, with water, <laughs> different kinds of meats, usually rough cuts like short ribs or um, brisket, things, cuts of meat that can take and withstand long cooking mm, uh, alongside potatoes, yuca, plantains, different kinds of vegetables that are available in the region. And all of that broth is flavored by a guiso, um, which is the backbone of Colombia's cuisine. And it's prepared mm. with ripe tomatoes, scallions, onions, garlic, and achote. Mm. And achote, like... Uh, so that gives it color. What is achote actually? It's a seed, right? Yeah, achote is a seed. And it's actually, it comes in this really beautiful flower that's quite prickly and red. And it grows in small bushes. And I mean, they really sprawl all around the tropical region of the country. Mm. So they're quite ornamental as well. You know, they're just beautiful as well. Yeah. And it gives it that like sort of brick red color, that beautiful Exactly. That's cool. And it does add a layer of flavor. You know, it adds a dimension of flavor that's quite specific. It's almost, it's almost really earthy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So imagine this big pot of water that it's sometimes is done on an open fire, like cooked on on hot coals or wood. Mm. Um, It cooks all morning. And then when it's time to serve it, you take out all the ingredients, separate them into into sections. You take out all the meats, you take out all the starches, and then you allow people to either ladle broth into a bowl and then they can add everything back in. Mm, But the idea is that you can eat your sancocho as you wish. You know, it's really... I think I, I like to say that it's a way to really reveal your personalities, how you eat your sancocho. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so meaning you can you can reassemble a, a a bowl of soup with all these different ingredients, or you can put it on a plate and eat it as if it was a uh, like a main course style of food, and you have a little broth on the side for sipping or. Exactly. And then are there like、exactly. garnishes and toppings and sauces? So, and... It's, so it's usually served with white rice,、okay. avocado, and then there's the the sauce that is ever present. It's called dahi.、Mm-hmm. So imagine it's like a very tangy salsa verde made with scallion, cilantro, and a type of chili. So people choose how hot they want it. But an ahi is also.、Um, It's a matter of pride. People take a、mm. lot of pride in their ahi preparation and ahi recipe, and you will find a jar, like a mason jar or an old marmalade jar, repurposed with ahi in every household. Oh, interesting! And you know, it's 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 the sauce that accompanies everything. What what sriracha is to Californians, it's ahi is to Colombians. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> and is it just like those herbs minced with the chili, or is there like a vinegar yes, or is there oil?、Chili. There's a vinegar. Okay. Um, a little bit of water and sometimes a dash of sugar, just to kind of like balance it out.、Mm, no oil. Okay. okay, okay. Oh, interesting. So it is meant to be like a little tart, a little fresh, herbal,、yes. hot. Does ahi mean like chili? Because I know there are like、exactly. different chilies、mm-hmm. within it, like ahi amarillo and things like.、That. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So it, it should be hot. It should be a little spicy. It should be, and and it is really the only spicy food. Like the only spice component that we have in our、mm. cuisine, like throughout all the regions, food isn't really spicy. But then the ahi is like as much as you want to add. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. You you also write there are different versions of sancocho, and that vary as much as a fish version with coconut milk, which sounds so delicious, or one like you just described with lots of different cuts of meat, different vegetables, different starchy vegetables. So, what's like the unifying factor? What makes a sancocho a sancocho? I think the preparation of cooking all of these elements in a big pot,、mm-hmm. right? It's really it's the broth element, it's the components.、Um, even if the ingredients vary from region to region, what's unifying, I think, is the generosity and the amplitude of the meal. You know,、mm, it's.、Okay. It's really like the ceremony around it, so and it's very common for people to invite you to a sancocho. You know, like they tell you the menu, right? Like we invite people for lunch. That's one thing to invite someone for a sancocho is a whole another ritual. Ah,、uh, okay, 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 okay.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, it's not just like oh, come over for dinner. It's like oh, come over for barbecue. San- for sancocho, for,、oh, exa- yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's it's it's, a,、yeah. it's its own kind of party. Yeah. yeah. And, so, you know, and and it's definitely a kind of meal that is a party. You know, you cannot make sancocho for two. I mean, I guess you could, but that would be just ridiculous. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with more proper sancocho details from Mariana Velasquez, author of Colombiana: A Rediscovery of Recipes and Rituals in the Soul of Colombia. I'm Francis Lamb, and this is the Splendid Table from APM. Our show is supported by Sitka Seafood Market. With Sitka Seafood Market, you can receive premium, sustainably harvested seafood from small boat fishermen and community processors shipped right to your door. Their wild caught products are flash frozen within hours of harvest, ensuring freshness and flavor. And Sitka Seafood offers flexible monthly or bi monthly subscriptions, but you're never stuck with anything you don't want. They allow product swaps, special add-ons, easy pausing or cancellation, and they're backed by a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. 
Members can also access exclusive benefits, recipes, and cooking tips. Not ready to commit to a subscription? No problem. They have one-time boxes that showcase seasonal, festive, and popular varieties without commitment. Promoting the dietary guidelines supported by the American Heart Association, Sitka Seafood Market emphasizes seafood's heart-healthy benefits, the rich in omega-3 fatty acids, and lean proteins. Start your free online visit today at sitkaseafoodmarket.com and use promo code SPLENDID35. Listeners receive $35 off their first order of $100 or more, subscription, or one-time box. Offer cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. That's Sitka, S-I-T-K-A, seafoodmarket.com, and promo code SPLENDID35. I'm Francis Lamb, and this is the show for curious cooks and eaters. We're talking about some of Earth's most beloved soups this week, so let's get back into Sancocho with Mariana Velasquez, author of Colombiana. Well, I love how you talk about Sancocho as a form of generosity, right? It's, it's a gathering. But usually when we have those kinds of things in cultures, there's also, you know, the flip side of it, which is arguments. <laughs> You know, who makes the best one? What's the right way to make one? And when we were talking earlier, you said something like, oh, your mother and your brother are always fighting about uh, their their respective sancochos. What is the argument yes. between between them? <laughs> so imagine this. My mother likes to cook all the meats first. Okay. Um, strain the broth. You know, once the meat is cooked, she likes to strain the broth, let it cool a little so she can skim the fat mm-hmm. and then she cooks she adds the guiso to that water to that now brothy very flavored water okay. <clears throat> and she cooks the vegetables so she separates the process because okay. she wants like a really clean tasting broth oh interesting my brother is like oh my god that's so cumbersome you're like and imagine this is like a six gallon pot right like it's yeah. not an easy strain it's something that's quite laborious <laughs> And so my brother is like, no, I mean, that is so complicated. You're overcomplicating it. So he makes it everything at once. He makes the guiso in the pot, adds the meats, covers it with water. And then he starts adding the vegetables one, you know, section by section, because you also have to, to pace it correctly. You cannot add all the vegetables all at once. Yeah. The potatoes um, first. Otherwise the potatoes will fall apart. By the time everything. Yeah. 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 So you added according to the time that they'll need cooking so that they hold their shape. So yeah, my brother's broth, it's it's almost, you know, it's more chunky. It's not as clear. So there's always a debate. And I step, you know, I take some steps back because I don't want to get involved. Yeah, I want to ask you which one you prefer. We don't need to start that. Here. Oh, no, please yeah. don't ask me that. <laughs> okay, but let's get to how you make it. Walk us through it. What goes into yours? Okay, so I usually make mine with pork ribs, brisket, okay. um, and pork shoulder. Oh, I okay. do the two meats. Um, so I make a really flavorful guiso. I saute my scallions, onions, then I add tomatoes that are very, very ripe. And I make it Is to that, a do point. Do you saute it in? in... in I, I do a little bit of olive oil. Okay. Um, and then I add a chote and garlic. So I make this guiso to be very jammy. You know, I want it to be mm. super flavorful, almost a bit caramelized because that's the base of the soup. That's what feels. Yeah, okay, okay. You so know. you really cook that down. You take I, I love really cook I love down. cooking tomatoes that way when you're 
Yeah. It's one thing to get their like bright, fresh, sweet flavor. It's another thing when you cook them down. So you say, well, you, they're jammy and, and that becomes, exactly. uh, that flavor gets so umami too. Yeah, it really does. And then I add, I cover that with water okay. and then add my meats, good salt, a couple of branches of cilantro, you know, with stems and all. Okay. Um, and then I let that cook. And if I can do it over an open fire, it's amazing. You know what I mean? I don't always have that possibility, but I just cook it until the meat is tender, at least a few hours. And then I start adding my plantains, the corn, the yuca, and then the potatoes last. And the way I love to serve it is I take all, all of the starches out. You know, I sort of fish them out, take out the meats, cut them up, and then serve everything in platters. And with white rice, avocado, and ahi. And, and then that's Oh, it. that sounds great. And then it's time to you party. Know, it's time to party, exactly. And my grandmother used to say, the sancocho makes itself. El sancocho se hace solo. And yeah. <laughs> in a way it does, right? But then you also have to peel the potatoes, peel the plantain. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. really make itself. <laughs> yeah. But to her, it was like the process was... It just, you know, everything happens in this one big pot and it just slowly cooks and the flavors develop and and it's a meal that feeds many. And it's, yeah, it's just abundant, but it's also comforting. And across the board, it's one of those dishes that is it's really appreciated. You know, people really love to have Sancocho because of what it means. You know, it's gathering and... Yeah, a celebration. I love that. Well, also, let me ask you one last question because I know music is so important in Colombian culture. What are you playing? What's the music oh, like when we come over for a Sancocho? <laughs> What's the music? I mean, I have a playlist um, that I have on Spotify, actually. It's called Cachaco Cool. And it's a combination of old boleros, old tangos that my grandfather used to listen to, mixed in with some contemporary Latin American musicians like Monsieur Periné or um, Sal Cathedral. And yeah, it's a combination of new and old. I think that that's the magic. I love it. All right, Mariana, thank you so much for this. And I can't wait to come to your house for a Sancocho sometime. Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mariano Velasquez is the author of Colombiana, a rediscovery of recipes and rituals from the soul of Colombia. You'll find her recipe for Sancocho at SplendidTable.org. Gregory Gourdet is a chef that I've admired for a really long time. Like many, many years ago, I knew his restaurant in Portland, Oregon, where he was famous for Asian-inspired cuisine. But... He decided a few years ago to focus instead on telling the story of the Haitian cuisine that he grew up with. Haiti is, you know, unfortunately known to most Americans really only through tragedy. Like we hear about it when it's in the news for earthquakes or violence. But Gregory is committed to sharing the beauty and strength and resilience of the culture of the only country where enslaved Africans actually overthrew their European masters. And that's where Soup Jamu comes in, but I'll let him tell that story. His new restaurant, Khan, has won the James Beard Award and just about every other award under the sun. And it is great to have you, Chef. 
Hey, Francis. Thanks for having me, my goodness. No, we're super excited. Super, super excited. Well, I mean, I'm glad you could make time for us because uh, you're very busy now <laughs> with everything you're doing at the restaurant. Con, you walk out of like every award ceremony with new hardware around oh, your God. neck. You know, like I think your schedule <laughs> of just receiving awards is probably pretty packed. <laughs> uh, we were very proud of last year. I will say that. It took a lot of work and we, we were very happy as a team. Well, you should be. And I love it, not just because your food is so delicious, Thank but you. because, Thank you. you know, the work you're doing showcasing Haitian cuisine to so many people who've never known anything about Haiti in general or its culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that obviously brings us to soup jungu, mm -hmm. um, which is really an important dish in the history and the culture. First of all, how do you describe this soup? Oh, well, soup jumu is definitely, you know, a very, very important dish, uh, cultural moment for us. It's actually a, a World Heritage Food um, voted by and honored by UNESCO a couple of years ago. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the core, it's a, it's a very savory, root vegetable dumpling and squash soup. Usually it's served with a type of protein. It can be made vegan. And there's... Uh, starchy element to it which i believe traditionally it's it's this kind of rustic dumpling made with flour and water uh to more uh kind of contemporary versions uh which feature either spaghetti or ziti or both mm. but it's like a pumpkin soup or a squash yes, soup like yes a, so yeah. the the there's actually a caribbean pumpkin and, and i do believe the name is caribbean pumpkin which is actually hard to source in Oregon, but one of our farmers actually grew it a couple of years ago, so that was really cool. Mm. Uh, not, obviously not enough for us to sustain it on the menu for um, as long as we serve soup jumu, but it's a very specific squash and something that my mom would purchase in pieces at Kribi markets throughout Queens as she mm. prepared it when we were growing up. Me, as a professional chef uh, living on the West Coast, I've used kabocha and butternut squash to kind of mimic that flavor. And, you know, I mean, I think we're all, you know, in this country used to like a creamy squash soup. But I find subjumu very, very interesting because it adds so much to that. You know, we're used to like a silky squash puree. You know, maybe there's like a, a sweet element, a pickled apple element, kind of like traditional modern dining. But mm -hmm. soup jumu, uh, it goes really in the opposite direction. It's spicy. It's got scotch bonnet. And we use epis, which is Haitian green seasoning. You know, it has like a little bit of stew meat. And then just this beautiful array of root vegetables from rutabaga, potatoes, uh, beautiful uh, squash and green plantains we use. And then those dumplings. So it's really, really rich, savory filling and absolutely comforting. That's awesome. So I definitely want to talk about the way you make it in the restaurant later on, because um, mm -hmm. I know you do it in a bit of a, a unique way that's you know not entirely typical or traditional. Mm -hmm. um, but let's mm -hmm. talk about like the, the traditional version or even just tell me how you had it in your home growing up. Yeah. Like, when would you have it? Yeah, like, I mean, I, I remember these beautiful big pieces of the Caribbean squash that would come from the market. And my mom would simmer the whole piece of squash in water. Uh, mm -hmm. We didn't actually eat a lot of red meat in my family. So oftentimes it was chicken, uh, but, you know, you would simmer the meat and you simmer the squash. When the squash was tender, you would take it out of the broth. You would take off the peel. You would puree with some of the water and then pour it back into the pot. Okay. After which we would add the turnips, the potatoes, the carrots, the squash, let everything simmer. 
and then you add your spaghetti and your ziti, um, which is the, the starchy element that my family always added. And subjumu, you know, going into the history of it is always served traditionally on New Year's Day. You know, after 13 years of revolution in 1804, Haiti won their independence from France. And mm -hmm. we celebrated by eating subjumu. So New Year's Day is a huge day. We clean the house from top to bottom. So, you know, I have this really vivid memory of, you know, as my mom is finishing vacuuming the house, she's finishing wiping the counters. You know, this, the, the pot of subjumu is simmering away um, as we all, you know, finish getting dressed and getting ready to hit the dinner table. You know, this is always usually early afternoon as well. Oh, I love that. I love <laughs> that you hear those like very like wholesome <laughs> sort of like just like domestic memory of it, like the, the cleaning of the house and you guys putting on your clothes. And when we were talking the other day, you said, you know, you didn't know the history of the dish. It was just your tradition to eat it. And that later on you learn the history and how. It's not just a soup symbolizing the revolution, right? And gaining independence, but like specifically, like Haiti was the first, really the first country that was formed from a slave revolution where Indeed. enslaved people were, yes. were like overthrew not just um, the colonial power, but like the enslaver. And yeah. Yeah, tell, tell us about like that, that aspect of the story of the soup. Yeah, I mean, so the history says that when we were enslaved by the French, we weren't allowed to eat soup jumeau, even though, you know, as slaves and as the cooks, we did have to prepare soup jumeau. So with, with the luxe ingredients, you know, the meat that got stewed, the the squash, the, the turnips, all those beautiful root vegetables, you know, we weren't allowed to have such luxurious food. So mm. after... 13 years of revolution and, you know, the death and the fighting and, you know, the, the fight for independence. When we won that independence, one of the first things we did was reclaim soup jumeau. And we celebrated mm. by eating that soup on New Year's Day. Um, because again, you know, that's the day we, we won our independence in 1804, um, January 1st. So that, that is the true story of soup jumeau. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I, I read other books and I, I talk to other Caribbean and Caribbean American chefs. And again, you know, like as they trace back their history and as they look back on the foods and dishes that were important, that really kind of formed so many of the memories that, you know, inform their work. Either, you know, they, they cook at a restaurant or they're writing cookbooks. But, you know, I think for a lot of us, for maybe our parents and our grandparents, you know, the soup becomes the story, you know, because just to serve mm. soup jumeau, you know, in Queens is an act of history, you know, is an act of keeping your culture alive. You know, that right. storytelling, you know, the act of my mother serving soup jumeau to my sister and I who were born in this country, you know, that creates so much memory. And oftentimes, you know, the true history of the dish maybe isn't as important in the moment because we are creating our own history, you know? Hmm. So, you know, now we get to share the story of soup jumeau with hundreds and thousands of guests, you know, who have had the soup. It's something that comes on our menu every year. Um, and it's incredible. You know, it's, it's one of my favorite things to run to guests. You know, there's quite a bit of storytelling at the restaurant and all our servers and runners know the exact story of soup jumeau. And we get to share that history as painful and as beautiful as it is with all our guests. Yeah, I love that. All right, so let's get to the preparation of it. I love how you described how your mother would make it, but you make it a little bit differently. 
Indeed. Um, <laughs> so the first thing you said is you marinate chicken thighs in a piece. So tell us about a piece, and it's it's spelled E P I S. Yes. So a piece is an all-purpose uh, Haitian green seasoning. Uh, there's you know different variations of green seasonings throughout the Caribbean and as well in the South, uh, but a piece is this really really beautiful aromatic combination of parsley, cilantro, thyme, lime juice, scotch bonnet, a little bit of clove, black pepper, onions. So, you know, when we were brought over, uh, you know, after eating delicious foods in, in, in West Africa, uh, we were, you know, not allowed to eat really delicious things. And we were really surprised at how bland, you know, the food was, the food of our colonizers were. So with the abundance of herbs and spices, you know, that were in Haiti and throughout the Caribbean, we started making these seasonings and marinades to flavor our food. So that is the story of, of a piece and green seasoning. So, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely important in Haitian cuisine. We use it to flavor so many things, you know, it's, it's used to marinate meat. You know, we, we marinate pretty much everything at the restaurant. That's a, a heavy protein with it overnight. Mm. Uh, we finish soup jumu with it. I, I'm very liberal with it and I've used <laughs> it in salad dressings and we've whipped it into butter to serve with our plantain buns. So, but oh, cool. at, at the core, every Haitian household has a, a jar of a piece in the fridge. Uh, it lasts quite a while and you can just add a spoonful or two to anything to give it that Haitian oomph, um, and that really beautiful dynamic flavor that it offers to the foods. Yeah. And to make it, you you just took all those ingredients you mentioned, the herbs, the the clove, the garlic, oh, yeah. and, and you just whip it in a blender, right? Yeah, you just whip it in a blender and you can whip it as smooth as you like. Uh, you can keep it a little bit of chunky, maybe like pesto consistency. But yeah, you literally just throw everything in a blender with a little bit of vinegar and lime juice, all those aromatics. And you can literally add it to anything from rice um, to marinating foods. It's extremely versatile indeed. Right on. So, okay, now you have your chickens marinated. And then, yeah, so we marinate the chicken, we yeah. braise it in chicken stock separately. We pre peel the squash, um, we simmer it with water and chicken stock, and a piece onions, garlic, and a little bit more habanero in lieu of scotch bonnets. Um, and we simmer that, puree it until it's nice and smooth. We blanch on the side or actually steam green plantains, potato, green cabbage, and rutabaga. Mm. And on the pickup, when it's time to go, the order comes in. We gently reheat the broth. Uh, we simmer the chicken to get it nice and tender again. We add our vegetables. And then in lieu of the flour dumplings, we have created a, a one based on potato. So kind of mimicking the potato in the soup. Uh, they have a really chewy, cool texture to them. And uh, everything we do at the restaurant is actually gluten-free. So it falls in line with kind of our dietary distinctions and us sure. being a very accessible restaurant for people with all diets. Yeah. You know, I, I love to hear that. And I love the idea of a potato dumpling. Um, I'm actually intrigued why spaghetti and ziti are, are, are used <laughs> in, in the home version. Um, Indeed. You know, there's actually quite a few, well, not a few, but there's a couple of spaghetti dishes in Haiti. And, you know, so many times we as Americans have tried to help Haiti and, you know, we've sent ingredients and goods over we've sent rice over we've mm -hmm. sent pasta over 
also the diaspora has spread, you know, around the world. And, you know, sure. we, we've come to America and we've, we've eaten box pasta. So it's one of those things that we kind of, again, took to our own. And there is uh, a Haitian spaghetti dish that we have for breakfast. It's literally spaghetti, onions, a little bit habanero, some ippies and hot dogs. And that is literally something that I grew up eating as well. That actually sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is good. We're actually putting it on the menu um, in a couple of weeks. And oh, I love it. <laughs> we did our handmade pasta. We, we work with Olympia Provisions locally to make an ippie sausage. So we were doing our version of it. But again, you know, traditionally the flour dumplings were in subjumu, but, you know, as we have these resources that are brought into the country, we we claim those as well. And, and thus, you know, spaghetti and ziti um, became fixtures in subjumu as well. We'll be back with more from Gregory Gourdet in just a minute. And then we're talking to chili sauce entrepreneur Jing Gao about Sichuan hot pot. I'm Francis Lam, and this is The Splendid Table from APM. I'm Francis Lamb, and this is the show for curious cooks and eaters. Today, we're all about the soups that will give you life this winter. We're talking right now with Chef Gregory Gourdet about Haiti's soup jamu. Let's get back to it with him. Okay, so you are, you know, you have this beautiful restaurant. It's Mm -hmm. critically acclaimed. You've gotten a lot of press. I'm sure you have guests, you know, not just from Portland, you know, where you are, but people who are coming in from you know, traveling into the oh, city yeah. Every and, day. and coming to, to, Every day. to come see the restaurant. Indeed. And so I know you take seriously this idea that, you know, you are, you know, a sort of ambassador for Haitian cuisine. And so I guess I'm, I'm I guess the question is, but now you make soup jamu this very different way than say your mom made it. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. make it in this, uh, you know, it's a little more technical, you know, you're breaking apart the different steps, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing it a little bit more, um, of a of a, pardon the word, a chefy way, yeah, you know, like for stirring sure. the chicken for and all sure. that stuff. <laughs> so I guess the question I have is, you're both representing Haitian cuisine, and you're also like modifying it. Yeah. So, for you, how do you figure out, like, what's are there lines you wouldn't cross, or or do you feel like, hey, I can, I should be able to do whatever yeah, I want because yeah. this is my cuisine. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I thought about this quite a bit, you know, when developing con. And for mm-hmm. me, you know, I didn't grow up cooking Haitian food. I right. actually didn't grow up cooking. You know, I, I grew up eating and watching my yeah. mom and, and enjoying. And uh, <laughs> she was a very good mother in the sense that she always fed us and had dinner on the table. And if not her, maybe our aunts and, you know, my grandmother. So I have all these vivid memories of eating um, but not cooking as much. And, you know, like I always call myself a late bloomer. I didn't start cooking until I was in my 20s. So, you know, just as I learned how to make French food and Spanish food at the restaurants and, you know, Asian cuisines and honoring all those cuisines, I learned how to make Haitian food a little bit later in life. And the Haitian mm-hmm. food is like kind of like the last place I started digging into about maybe about six, seven years ago. Uh, you know, I, I was like, hey, I'm spending all this time learning about all these different cultures and I'm not spending enough time learning about my own. So I started working on all the family recipes with my mom. You know, anytime we were together, home for the holidays, I'd be like, mom, teach me how to make this, how to teach me how to make saspa, teach me how to make akara, show me how you do it. And then I started making them for my family. But, you know, when I opened Khan, I knew that because Haitian cuisine is so underserved in this country, it was extremely important that 
we started from a place of respect and, and, and heritage. So mm-hmm. we have a few dishes on the menu, which we consider traditional. And, you know, while there might be some flourishes, you know, like the soup shimu preparation is probably a little more technical than my mother would serve it. But at the <laughs> core, the true ingredients of soup shimu are in there and nothing else is in there, you know? So, you know, right. like it's like if we were given... My mom and me were given the same ingredients for, to make soup jumu. You know, my version would be a little bit different than hers, but at the core, we're both using the same ingredients. So I think that's extremely important. And, uh, you know, because you don't want people to walk away from the experience not really understanding what the true authentic dish is. And that was really important for me. And when we discussed the food with our guests, we're super clear about this is a traditional dish. Um, whereas some others dishes on the menu are, are more seasonally or locally inspired, um, mm-hmm. honoring an Oregon and our seasons and some other dishes inspired by West Africa, honoring the enslaved that were taken and, and the, mm-hmm. the Pan-Caribbean as well, where Haiti lies. I love that. Well, Chef, I have, you know, I've had the opportunity to eat your food yes. at events and, and, but I, but I haven't come you need the to restaurant come. Yet. Please and come I, visit. I look forward <laughs> please, to please. it. Please, <laughs> please. I would love it. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. This has been great. Thank you, Francis. It's really been a joy to connect with you and um, talk about one of my favorite soups. Gregory Gourdet is chef owner of Khan in Portland, Oregon, and author of the cookbook, Everybody's Table. You can find his recipe for soup jamu at splendidtable.org. So if you are into hot sauces and chili oils, I am telling you, your collection is not complete without Fly by Jing Chili Crisp. It is one of the most delicious condiments ever. It's floral and numbing and sweet and savory and hot, but not too hot. It makes your mac and cheese go galactic. I'm, I'm just a huge fan. Well, its creator, Jing Gao, actually came to the food world after a corporate career that happened to take her from the U.S. back to her native Chengdu, the capital of Sichuan province in China. And there, she ended up ditching her tech job and dove into the kitchen, reconnecting with her culture and, oh, yeah, creating a chili sauce that's now taking the world by storm. So there's no one I'd rather talk to about the spicy tradition of Sichuan hot pot than Jing. So hi, Jing. It's great to have you. Hi, Francis. How are you? I'm great, thank you. And, you know, it is almost Lunar New Year as we are recording this, so it is definitely hot pot season. Um, mm. Although I guess maybe in your world it's always hot pot season. Yeah, in um, fact, I just had hot pot last night. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you are prime. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is the life. This is the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, hot pot, you know, I think technically is considered a soup, but it's kind of more of a technique and, and really I think it's an event. So... Mm-hmm. If you close your eyes and imagine your favorite hot pot ever, what mm. do you see? Ooh, okay. So I'm seeing a bubbling vat of red hot soup. And mm. this is probably in Chengdu where the soup base is made from beef tallow. And mm. it's just teeming with peppers and Sichuan peppers, chilies, and all sorts of spices. Um, super fragrant. And the table is just covered in ingredients to cook and not a single inch of open space. So that's what I'm <laughs> seeing. 
<laughs> and there's like barely room for like your chopsticks and your bowl mm-hmm. that you'll actually eat out of. But for those <laughs> of us who have never been indoctrinated, and I say indoctrinated because I love that you have a section in your book called Hot Pot is a Religion. Um, just to set the stage, like you said, there's a big table. There is um, raw food all over it, meats, mm-hmm. vegetables, starches. And there's like generally a stove. It could be like a little mm-hmm. portable propane stove or sometimes I guess like a little plug-in induction or something. And then a, a literal hot pot of bubbling broth mm-hmm. and tell us about like the activity yeah so like i said hot pot is a lifestyle in sichuan i think it originates from sichuan although there are so many different forms and types across different regions of china but mm-hmm. um it is a pastime like it is a fun activity you can do with your family and friends where you cook and eat your food together and it's also a marathon. It's not a race. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you go to a hot pot, not expecting to be in and out um, within like 30 minutes, but it's more of like a, you know, marathon and you kind of keep going throughout the night and you might stop and take a break and maybe like play some mahjong and then come back to more yeah. hot pot. Um, oh, that's so I, I love hot pot just because there's something for everyone. Even if someone was vegetarian, you could have different types of broth. Okay, sure, sure. And at home, you can easily have like two different pots, one that's like spicy, maybe one that's not. There is a place for both. Like in Sichuan, it's common to see like a non-spicy pot to cook things like vegetables or things that are a bit lighter that you want a lighter flavor for. Mm, okay. Um, so for Sichuan hot pot, the soup base is the most important part. And there's entire industries that are built around this, right? Um, most of the food factories in Sichuan, I would say, are supporting the hot pot industry to help really? supply really flavorful, delicious hot pot soup bases to uh, restaurants across the country. And there are probably no more hot pot restaurants than any other form of restaurants in China. No and kidding. yeah, it is, it's insane. I mean, when I first started Fly by Jing, I didn't know where to start with manufacturing, but I just started knocking on, you know, factory doors. Um, <laughs> almost every that. single sauce manufacturer is manufacturing hot pot base. And, uh, it was very hard to try to get the attention of any of them because they were so occupied with uh, the hot pot industry. Um, but you can definitely make hot pot base from scratch. It's it's not super difficult, but what it is is like very involved. There's a lot of different ingredients. Yeah, walk I don't us know, through a it dozen a little bit. spices. Yeah, so I would say at the foundation of it is like a fat, right? So mm-hmm. you can either use like an oil with a high smoke point, maybe like you know in Sichuan they use a ancient form of Sichuan rapeseed oil. It has nothing to do with mm-hmm. European rapeseed. But it's uh, super fragrant, delicious, nutty, and very healthy. So that mm-hmm. is kind of a base. But in Sichuan, because flavor trumps everything, beef tallow is often used as the fat mm-hmm. as well, in addition. So beef tallow, as you can imagine, just like bright orange, Super fragrant. You know, they bring it to your table actually as a big block. And then once the heat starts to go and it starts to melt, um, it just starts to smell amazing. And so the fat is the foundation. Then you've got kind of the spice component. So there's a ton of chilies. And then the other thing that contributes to the the heat of the hot pot broth is uh, doubanjiang. 
So, you know, there's different kinds of bean pastes, right? And, and usually they're made from soybeans, whether it's like Korean bean paste or Chinese bean paste. There's so many that, that are made from soybeans, black beans, whatever. But mm-hmm. when you uh, talk about doubanjang in Sichuan, you're specifically referring to fava bean paste. So okay. they ferment fava beans with chilies and salt. And it's just delicious. It's it's considered the soul of Sichuan cuisine. It is the foundation of things like hot pot, mapo tofu, twice cooked pork, all these like really classic Sichuan dishes. Yeah, so yeah. doubanjang, essential. A really good chili oil, essential. And then... You have all your spices and herbs. Oftentimes, they're also like medicinal, traditional Chinese medicine herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, basic ones that you might find are like cumin, um, cardamom, like giant black cardamom, and um, cassia bark, star anise, yeah. fennel seeds, you know. And and then, you know, there's your aromatics as well, your ginger, garlic, and and scallions and stuff. Yeah. And so there are different steps. So there's, you know, you, you, you toast your spices, you put it aside, you heat up your oils, you cook your aromatics in the oil so that like all the fragrance is released. The flavors and then out, yeah. you start to cook the doubanjang. And that's when it starts to smell really amazing. And you add the spices back to it and it just like becomes this incredible paste. Um, and that paste becomes your foundational soup base to mm-hmm. which you can add your bone broths, your stocks, your waters. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so three components of hot pot is the soup base, the ingredients you're going to cook, and then the sauce that you're going to dip it in right afterwards. Mm, okay. So, ingredients wise, you know, the world is your oyster. You can really anything, anything that you can cook, you can throw in hot pot. Um, yeah. You know, so the classic ingredients are things like thinly sliced meats it's important for it to be thinly sliced because you don't want to wait yeah 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 it's kind of like a dip it in the hot pot it cooks in like a second yeah yes so you know you can have pork and lamb and beef aside from those i love tofu in all its forms Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you can have your regular tofu and then uh, one that i really like is frozen tofu so when you take tofu and you freeze it it kind of expands on the inside yeah. into like almost like a sponge, right? So that is this incredible texture that I love. And I think it soaks up like hot pot soup so well. And then oh, yeah. other forms like fuzu, which is like tofu skin, right? But it's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like it's in sticks that look like bamboo or like fried tofu balls, which, you know, golden fried on the outside, really like crispy, but then the inside is like soft and spongy. Um, so anyway, all, all the tofus. And then fresh seafood, uh, sliced fish, shellfish, you know, uh, at some fancy hot pot restaurants, you might find like crab, lobster, scallops, and, and, and so on. Um, or, you know, you can go to any Asian store and find these like frozen seafood balls. And those are really fun. They're delicious. Um, and then there's like vegetables. So usually, you know, I'll do like a mixed veggie platter. So everything from leafy greens to like, you know, I love winter melon because, again, that's like another really great vegetable to soak up soup and flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, Fresh bamboo shoots and, uh, you know, woodier fungus, different types of mushrooms. Inokis, always really popular. Um, Oyster mushrooms, something like a little meaty to chew. And then last category, I feel like is starches. You know, some people, they cook wheat noodles. I personally 
don't love cooking wee noodles in hot pot just because of the starch that gets left behind in the broth, which kind of muddies it up. So I prefer using more like, you know, vermicelli or like rice noodles. Yeah, like bean threads. and Exactly. But in Sichuan, uh, what's really popular is like sweet potato noodles. And uh, those are usually like really thick strips. So... So those are, you know, my my starches. And then that brings me to like the sequence and the, you know, how long you cook the ingredients for, right? Yeah, so there's an order to which you put stuff into your pot. Um, in the beginning, you know, chuck in things that you can just leave and not think about for a while. You know, the <laughs> soy products, you know, the yubas, the tofus, they really can stand. Because they're not going to overcook. For- yeah. Exactly. They can be in there for a long time. So, so then once the broth really starts to boil, that's when you can start with your proteins. And usually I don't advocate for just dropping the meat into the pot because you'll lose it. Someone else will take your meat and then you yeah. won't have anything. <laughs> so it's pretty convenient to use like a slotted spoon or a ladle um, to put your ingredients in and just you know keep an eye on it. Or you can just, you know, depending on who you're eating with, if you're comfortable, you know, at home and just straight up use your chopsticks. Even if you're touching raw meat, it's fine because you're just, you're cooking it, right? In like really hot broth. Takes only like five to 10 seconds. So it's not much time. It's basically a dip. Exactly. And um, I typically leave like veggie towards the end, um, just so you can fill up on more of the protein first. And then, you know, with leafy greens <laughs> <Classic>. and stuff. <laughs> with leafy Especially greens. Especially all you can eat buffet. Like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to fill up on like broccoli. <laughs> You're going to, you know, go for the expensive proteins. And then at the end, just kind of top it up with some really nice Asian greens. I love like chrysanthemum greens. So that's also known as Tong Ho. That's like one of the best, I think, leafy greens for hot pot. Um, you can have bok choy and uh, pea shoots or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then finally, your starches. So so basically, everyone sits around the thing, right? And then like like literally one bite at a time, one slice of beef at a time, one shrimp at a time. You dip it in there. It cooks literally in seconds. You take it back out. You have that bite. You're chatting. You're talking. But what also happens too is like all those ingredients will also flavor the broth as you're cooking, right? So it gets more and more mm-hmm. flavorful as yeah. you go through the night. And like you're there like all night long. Uh, yeah. I used to, actually, yeah. it's funny. I, I used to do it with my friends for New Year's and we would show up at like nine o'clock, oh. like, you know, till the ball drops. Wow. That's <laughs> um, a great. And it's just such yeah. an amazing event and the thing gets more and more delicious. So um, thank you for this incredible lesson in hot pot and have a great hot pot season. Thank you for having me and you too. Jing Dao is the author of The Book of Sichuan Chili Crisp and is the founder of Fly by Jing, which you can buy online or at tons of stores around the country. You can find her recipe for hot pot at splendidtable.org. Well, that is our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. APM Studios are run by Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffer, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman's our executive producer, and the show was created by Sally Swift and Lynn Rosetta Casper. It's made every week by technical producer Jennifer Lupke, producer Eric Romero, digital producer James Napoli, and managing producer Sally Swift. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your downloads and take some time to leave us a review. It really helps us out. I'm Francis Lamb, and this is APM Studios. Studios.